Welcome to the Next Level Income Show, where it's our goal to take your income, your investments, and your life to the next level. I'm your host, Chris Larson. You can get a free copy of our book at nextlevelincome.com and just click on the book link. Today's show is sponsored by Money Insights and their Investment Optimizer Strategy. In my book, I share how I've used this strategy to invest my money in two places at the same time. This strategy has also been used by the wealthy for generations for estate planning, minimizing taxes, preserving wealth, as well as increasing stability for investments. Money Insights can help you build an emergency fund, pay for college, fund a business, plan for retirement, as well as optimize your investments. You can check them out at nextlevelincome.com slash banking. On today's show, I'm excited to have Charles Dehart. Charles currently co-manages a team of brokers at Marcus & Millichap alongside his partner, Glenn Esterson. Coming to the end of their first full year together, the team is on track to close out close to $250 million of mobile home park transactions this year. And prior to transitioning to brokerage, he also co-founded Sunrise Capital Partners alongside Kevin Bupp and Brian Spear, and they grew to over 2,000 units within three years of founding the company. Charles still buys communities and has partnered with Dylan Marma to form the Requity Group, which focuses on buying high-quality, underperforming commercial assets. And to date, they have closed on 163 mobile home park spaces and is prepared to launch a $20 million fund to pursue more assets. Charles currently lives in Tampa with his beautiful wife. Charles, welcome to the show today. Hey, thanks a lot. Absolutely. Glad to be here. So, how did I pronounce that? Did I do it right? Did I do it wrong? I don't, I don't know how to pronounce it either. It's, that's Dylan's doing. So, Requity. Sometimes I purposely mispronounce it just to bug him. <laughs> yeah, it, it's Requity. And I, I see RE and I always say RE. So, yeah, so the Requity group, R E Q U I T Y. So, you know, Charles, we've talked several times here, but for the audience who doesn't know much about your background, you know, kind of talk about your journey to where you've gotten today. Yeah. So it's been kind of a, a mess of a journey, I guess, say, to get here. I started off in the military. I actually did my first, I guess you could say it's my first real estate investment while I was in the Marines. Went overseas, did a deployment, had some money. And my grandfather suggested that we build a house. I took that money used it for the land and funded some of the construction of the house. And him and I and my dad built a house, which ended up getting used kind of as a rental property at times when I was gone and then as a personal residence. And so that was probably my... you know, and A personal residence really isn't a, an investment property, but that was kind of my start, I guess you could say. After the Marines, I did some private contracting. And at that point, I had... you know, I was getting paid good money. So had a friend in Atlanta and he was telling me that he was doing some single family home investing. And I bought two or three single family homes, probably not the wisest decision, but the market at that time kind of bailed me out. I actually made quite a bit of money on those three homes, but operating that from overseas was very challenging. And then- Talk uh, about out of state, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was a little bit different than out of state. Closing it was weird too, because you have to use specific that have the ability to do it internationally. So it was kind of, I don't know, it was just a learning experience, I guess. So I did that and realized pretty quickly that I was like, multifamily is probably better than the single family. It, it was pretty obvious. And so I started looking for apartment buildings, like smaller apartment buildings, put a like a seven unit in Charlotte under contract. It fell out. I really didn't know what I was looking at. So you know, I just got spooked off of it. And then a broker eventually showed me a mobile home park and the owner of that park kind of walked me through the business model. And it just, to me, it just seemed genius. You know, you got tenants who own the thing and they own their own home and you take care of the roads and the water and sewer line. 
then you just charge them lot rent. And he was kind of telling me about the profit margins versus apartments and things like that. And it just seemed like a deal. So ended up getting into some coaching there, like bought some coaching, learned the biz, and then took about two years to buy a park. But that was ultimately what freed me up from that overseas job. So bought a park, had met Kevin along the way, quit my job, moved to Tampa, and then we we bought 20 more. Is basically the the short end of the story there. So 20 more communities, right? 20 more mobile home right. parks. Yeah, we yeah, ended up owning, awesome. I think, 21 or 22 communities. We've sold some since then. I think I own 16 now. But yeah. it's been a good business. Yeah, like no, that's it. awesome, man. And obviously, we share some commonality when it comes to our penchant for multifamily and mobile home. And So where were you stationed, by the way, when you were overseas? Can you say? Yeah. When I was in the Marines, I deployed four times in six years. Went to Fallujah in 2006. 2008, I was south of Samara, Iraq. And then 2009, went to Al-Assad Air Base. That was a pretty boring one. Boring is good over there. Yeah. I was kind of all over. The last one was Afghanistan. We were at Camp Leatherneck and then spent some time in Kajiki and a little bit of time in Sangin. It was a good mixture of I was all over the place when I was in the Marines. And then after that, I went contracting and lived in Baghdad for about five and a half years. Interesting. Yeah. One of my foreign business partners was a Marine. And yeah, I just appreciate everything you guys do. My family, my uncle's father, grandfather, they were all Navy. So I grew up not too far from the Naval Academy. Yeah. yeah. You know, you talked about kind of the scalability going from single family to really mobile home parks. I've had a lot of people on the show talking about multifamily. That's next level income's big focus. That's our focus. What is the difference between owning a mobile home park? And owning a multifamily building. You talked about like lot rent versus that. If you can kind of go a little bit deeper into that. I've actually never owned a multifamily building, but so I have to kind of imagine what it's like. There's two big differences. One is the tax advantage difference. Like our entire investment is pretty much land improvements. And so for all the accelerated depreciation stuff, it was a tremendously better deal on the tax side. You know, multifamily's kind of caught up with, you know, accelerated depreciation and all that stuff. But, you know, we were on a 15 year schedule for pretty much 75% of the investment. It's been that way forever in this industry. Yeah, And so that seemed like a much better deal, which was one of the reasons that I picked it. That was one of the big reasons. And then just from a management standpoint, when the tenant owns their own home, there's kind of a couple of different ways to look at it is as a landlord, the turnover rate is like so much less frequent. However, it also does give you a lot of leverage as a landlord. And so there's a lot of ethics that play into you manage those tenants because you do have a lot of leverage there. You could raise their rent however much you want to, and, and really it's, it's very difficult for them to leave. And so that's been a thing that's happened in our industry where I've crossed the ethical line occasionally and just trying to find what our company's ethics are on those kind of things. You know, that, that's been part of the learning experience that I did not anticipate. But as far as turnover rate, I would say your typical tenant owned home person owns their own home there is probably going to staying on average, maybe 10 to 15 years. Wow. So Whereas, yeah, I mean, you compare that to 18, 24 months on the multifamily side, that's a big difference. Right. You know, occasionally we'll own some of the homes inside of the park too. And we see turnover rates that are very close to apartments, like average lease length, depending on the type of community might run from 20 to as high as 30 months on the home side. I mean, there's people that live in some of these parks for like 50 years. They wow. bought a home when they were 30 or whatever, and they ended up living there their entire life. Yeah, that's incredible. So you know, the communities that we're buying, Charles, you know, we're looking at rents, 
somewhere, you know, today's acquisitions, a thousand, maybe do twelve hundred or maybe upwards of fourteen hundred dollars a month. You know, mm-hmm. affordability is becoming, you know, a huge thing. I like to talk about that. But before we do, like, what are you seeing for average? And that we're talking about lot rents, right? So we're talking about, you know, what you're paying for a lot. What do you see as an average lot rent on a monthly basis in the mobile home space? I'd probably say, and it's gone up a lot since I began. A lot faster than apartments have. And I think it's because of the constricted supply that we've got. But I'd say nowadays it's probably somewhere between 350 and 400. You know, if you're looking at somebody that's living there, I mean, this is, I was having this conversation with my uncle. He lives out in Colorado, kind of in between Aspen and Glenwood Springs. So it's one of these tourism towns that, you know, they're facing a lot of issues where people can't afford to live in these cities, but there's all this space kind of on the plains in between the mountains. I was looking at these really great mobile home parks. I was like, this is a terrific option. It looks like in areas that there's an abundance of land mm-hmm. and you know, you're looking for affordability. And you know, there's some really nice, you know, I don't know if you call it manufactured housing or even like tiny homes today that you could put on here. So you know, if you say, okay, what's the total cost? You know, obviously, there's a lot rent. But if I'm going to go live in you know, called a mid-tier or maybe upper end park, what's the total cost for a resident living there? Say for a, I don't have all the experience in that part of Colorado, but I'd say lot just, rents and yeah, yeah, yeah lot rents in wider communities. Yeah, it's total cost for a tenant might be. I mean, in a park like in that part of Colorado, you might see the lot rents being a thousand or more, and then the mobile home would actually be over a hundred thousand. In some cases, depending on where it is, it might be a half a million for that home. Wow, I was at in Colorado too, and my wife had to bear with me while I swung through one of those parks and asked some people some questions. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. In our parks, I'd say we usually hold our rents probably about 10 to 20% below it. That's kind of where we're at. We're slowly creeping those up to market. So we bought a lot of our communities well below market. So I don't think we have any of our communities that are at market rent right now, but we're probably sitting around 10, 20% below market on most of our parks. And then we typically try to pass through the utility costs. And then if it makes sense to pass through like trash and stuff, I don't like nickel and diamond people. I'd rather just do it through rent. But if it does make sense, they're getting like individual can service at their unit. They're probably going to get that passed through. If they're taking their stuff to stir, we probably won't pass that through. Yeah. So that makes sense. In the multifamily space, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can improve the income on these properties. These Mobile home park, multifamily community, they're both valued on net operating income, correct? Mm-hmm. So we raise rents typically through improvements, you know, then we have operational efficiencies. So in a mobile home park, if you don't own the home, what are the improvements that you can make? You know, you were talking about land improvements. Like what do you actually do to increase the revenue on that park? Uh, the biggest one is you see with uh, people who when a community turns over is repaving the roads. And so a lot of people will repave the roads new signage, and then maybe do some improvements to the office or a lot of the amenities in some of these parks have gotten old and tired, so they'll just refresh them. And then they'll go in for a significant rent increase out of the gate and then slowly creep it up to market after that. That's kind of like the bread and butter strategy most people do with them. I think one of the unique things about parks, Dylan was kind of explaining this to me, that in apartments, it's just odd to me that apartments transact every five years doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Five to 10 years, why would you take the risk of bailing out of one community and going into one? But he kind of filled me in that you know that's kind of the timeline where the CapEx needs to be done again. You're just refreshing. Yep. And so you send it back out to Mark, new guy comes in, they do their improvements. They basically just do the same blueprint. Yep. But in mobile home parks, I mean, your roads, you know, how often do you replace a road? 
It's not that often. So you see a lot of these communities get held for 20 or 30 years. It's just wow. not uncommon. Yeah. So, I mean, Dylan's spot on. And, you know, we, we just bought a community. We closed on it last month and it was a 2018 build. We're still being able to go in and make some improvements just because the market has changed in that particular area to the point where, you know, some small changes with respect to the finishes is going to allow us to increase that. And then you have other, like we, we'd sell to groups that they want something that's stabilized that doesn't take a lot of capital investment. So, you know, even, Three years may not be an unreasonable timeline to go in and do that and flip and, and redo the strategy. So I, I think that's one of the areas that you know I've looked into. It seems like mobile home parks tend to have higher cash on cash returns than multifamily, where the overall returns you know they can be similar, maybe a little bit higher depending on where you go. Can you speak to that kind of like you know the cash returns and we don't have to talk specific numbers, but it seems like these can be real cash cows if you get them stabilized. What creates that is there's two types of valuations that go into these things. The, okay. So the lot rents, all of the revenue and expenses, you have to kind of imagine the park is like two different views. Like let's imagine because you, you'll get a park and however it comes, but you know, the optimal business model is to have everyone own their own home. Those expenses and those revenues that are still present after the homes are all sold off, net operating income is capitalized. Whereas everything that spins off of the mobile homes, none of that income or that expense is capitalized, is done instead is you value the home based on what it's worth. So it's kind of like a car. You know, if I buy a, or if I was buying a taxi company, I wouldn't probably, I don't know how to buy a taxi company, but I probably wouldn't buy the cars based on their NOI. That's the way that, you know, mobile homes are done. And that typically creates a, if you look at the, the revenue and expenses on, your typical mobile home and look at what the prices that investors are paying for that mobile home, it probably works at maybe a 12 cap if yeah. you were to capitalize it. Yeah. Four to seven caps in the multifamily space. So a big difference. So cap rate is, you know, for those that don't know, you can check it out in my book. I talk about it. But it's basically if you buy something for a million dollars, a 10 cap would be you're getting a hundred thousand dollars of net operating income on the back of that. And the difference is though you can't push because it's not valued on a cap rate. You're getting a high cash flow, but on those homes, you can't push its value. Right. That makes total sense. So it's a blended strategy when it comes to that. So what changes have you seen? So you started, was it 2014? You started in the mobile homes park space? Yeah. 20, right at the tail end of 2013, 2014. Terrific. So what changes have you seen, Charles, over the past six years? It's been a lot. I think being on the broker side, I get to see a lot of what's happening, all the relevant things. Seen a lot of people coming from apartments, just tons of people coming from apartments. When I first started in the business, people did value the upside. I don't think ever existed where people say all the time they don't pay for upside. I don't think that ever existed in any market cycle, but there was still a little bit of that going on. Now it's super, super aggressive. It's to the point where there's, you know, you used to be able to buy a park even at a market price and have like a margin of safety, mm -hmm. you know, to give your investors the rate of return they're expecting. Nowadays, you have to be very, I look at it as the market has priced itself to a point where operators who aren't very good aren't going to make it. And yeah. so the very good operators, they can still function now, but the ones that aren't very good, they're going to have a hard time. Yeah, absolutely. Who's operating your parks? Who's running that side of the business? We are. Yeah, we tried third-party management. It's a problem of geography where it makes it really hard for a company to get third-party management. 
And so one of the companies we went with had a very big management portfolio, about 40,000 lots, but they were in 30 different states. Oh, wow. And so they did a fairly good job, as good as you could expect, being stretched so thin. There's just not that good options for that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even us, we have different management companies in different Mm -hmm. geographies, also in, you know, depending on, you know, where that property is in the stack, you know, is it B, is it A, where where is it going to be? So it's, it's so important. And that's what I talk about. Like that's, and you know, this, that's where the rubber meets the road, right? You can have the best property in the best market and have crappy management and it's not a good deal. So that's terrific. So let's talk about the equity group. Let's talk about the fund you guys are raising. You know, what's your targeting? $20 million fund. That's a good size. What are your targets and what are your goals with that? I don't know. Dylan and I, we've spent some time. I've kind of walked him out markets pricing these things. It's a little bit different with you know two different types of evaluations that go into it, or some of these mobile homes are sold on a so you're then basically doing some note buying as well. So we spent some time doing that, and really our targets are the southeast. We we like southeast, and since he's now in Florida, we're basically our investment thesis is still together, but we're building the alpha and Tennessee and North Carolina, Georgia, yep. and then hoping that that allows us. To Terrific. And so that's kind of what we're moving for. So Charles, our one question we ask for, for every guest that's on the show is if you go back to your 25-year-old self and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? Okay. I probably wouldn't have listened, but I guess... <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. I actually really sometimes think it would have been really nice to have gotten into real estate a lot sooner. But on the other hand, I got to do a lot of things that there's very few people that got to do the things that I got to do. So I probably would suggest that I'd get into real estate a little bit sooner though. Yeah. I love just that. a little bit, just a little bit sooner. Yeah. But it's never too early to invest. So if you're listening and the best time to invest is yesterday, the best time to invest, that second best time is today. So if people want to learn more about you, what you do at your brokerage, Charles, you know, if they have any questions or maybe they're looking to transact or buy something and they want to learn more about the Requity Group, what's the best way to find out more information and connect with you guys? Yeah. The, the RequityGroup.com is the site for Dylan and I on our capital raise and, and what we're doing on the mobile home park buying side. And then my brokerage partner, it's the MHP Expert Dumb. That's, you know, if you're looking for mobile home parks to buy, you can go there and we've got five agents that are all country. We do them all over the place. We've got them all the way from, we got one deal in Silicon Valley, California, and then pick out the most random tertiary market and we've done them there. That's awesome, man. Now I'd love to hear more about that. And if you want to learn more about what we do at Next Level Income, you can check us out at nextlevelincome.com. Again, you can get a free copy of our book by clicking the book link. Again, we're going to have the links for Charles and Dylan's information. It's therecordygroup.com. It'll be in the show notes. Charles, thank you so much for being on the show today. Hey, thanks a lot, Chris. Absolutely, man. Great to see you. Thanks. Thanks.